Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of October 8th, 2018. On the show today, listener questions, news from around Walt Disney World. A quick reminder before we begin, if you like the show, check out our other shows at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. There you'll find dozens of Bandcamp exclusive shows that have never appeared on iTunes. Our most recent from last week looks at the surveys Disney's sending out to theme park and cruise guests and what we think Disney's interested in doing based on those answers. All kinds of interesting ideas on future technology, rides, and services. So check those out again at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Again, this is the week of October 8th, 2018. During this week in 1997, Disney's Grand Floridian Beach Resort opened. It's now known as Disney's Grand Floridian Resort and Spa or the villas at Disney's Grand Floridian Resort. Disney's flagship turn-of-the-century Florida resort with excellent suites, services, and restaurants. Speaking of restaurants, let's bring in the man who puts the ooh in Narcoosies, one Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Mm, nar- <laughs> I thought long and hard about that one too, Jim. Go ahead. <laughs> I miss Narcoosies. I haven't been there in a while. I was there uh, about a month ago and had, uh, this is going to sound horrible, but uh, butter poached lobster tails <laughs> were fantastic. Oh, they were so good. Oh, no, Nancy has definitely been jonesing for lobster. In fact, my daughter, Alice, is out visiting us, and the two of them have just been trying to, to figure out somehow to get someplace where lobsters are at. So I hope we don't have to go all the way to Narcoosies to get them, but... You're in Vermont. You're close enough to the coast where you can you can probably figure that out. Although I heard the lobster catch this year was was so good that it's actually been depressing prices for a while. We're sort of in the golden age of lobster, or we're ending the golden age of lobster. Well, you see, but the downside of that is that that has something to do with climate change. <laughs> yeah, that they're they're actually migrating north, uh, farther north uh, into Canadian waters where U.S. Fishermen can't yeah, fish. and you have all of these people who, as there was this great boom time, and lobster brought bigger boats and bigger houses, and and then the lobsters moved, and it's yeah. become kind of tough, particularly in Massachusetts, and you know, which is of course striking fear in the folks who who lobster in New Hampshire and Maine. So yeah, there was an article on exactly this uh, about a month ago in um, in the New York there Times. You go. It's so. very very interesting. Yeah. All right, Jim, before we be, uh, get started on our show with our listener questions and news from around the world, we have a quick correction about the Skyliner, don't we? Yes. Okay. And I, I have to take the hit on this because I was the one who drove the bus on our you know, breaking of you know what was going on in the Skyliner. And I came out and said that the Skyliner is going to have air conditioning. So sorry, Jim. Let me, let me, let me preface this by yep. saying about two months ago, we got information that said there would be no air conditioning on the Skyliner. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't believe That's that. That's right. We actually recorded an entire segment, like 10 minutes yep. long, about why we thought this was a crazy mm-hmm. idea. And then after we recorded it, recorded it you reached out to I did. I... people inside Disney and was told something Well, different. I was handed specs. And it was one of these things where it's like... This is where terminology comes into play here, but go ahead. I was told that these things would have AC. However... Again, the person who was sharing the information with me neglected to mention that when he read the thing that said AC, it was in small, lowercase AC rather than capital AC. And evidently, 
in the wonderful world of gondolas, that actually means something? Yeah, so capital AC is air conditioning. Yes. What's, what's lowercase AC? Air circulation. So fans. I've been flat out told that so many people are concerned about, oh my God, I'm going to be in this sweltering car in Central Florida in August, and you can make your own cheese soup in your pants. And it's like, well, no. When you're whipping along at 16, by the way, that, that I also got corrected about the, the, the speed of the vehicle. Evidently, the top speed isn't 16 miles an hour. It's 17 miles an hour. And again, that's how oh, that's okay. how precise the people who work in these gondolas are. Okay. And that's actually zippier than the average, which is around 11 or 12. Okay, there go we go. Ahead. But, but the idea is when you're being pulled through the air at that speed, the way that the cart has been assembled, there will be a pleasing breeze. So even at that wonderful, humid Florida air in you know July and August, you'll still have a pleasant breeze. This isn't a three-hour tour. You are moving from station to station. I guess the longest leg they're, they're thinking at this point will be a three-and-a-half to four-minute trip between uh, the stations. Then you get off and you transfer to the next car or you get off and explore the Riviera or whatever you're going to do. But no air conditioning, but air circulation. Moral of the story is a capital letter means something in, in the gondola world. I mean, I'll chalk it up to a misunderstanding in terminology between us, the, our imaginary friends, and whoever the manufacturer is. I'm still a little bit surprised on it, but uh, that, that's a, a fair enough explanation. All right. These gondolas, if you go around the world, there are, are versions of them that do, in fact, have air conditioning on board. There are the ones that use this air circulation system. It really depends on who's picking up the tab. That's what this ultimately comes down to, is the Walt Disney Company looked closely at the cost versus the maintenance and opted, eh, you know, we can go with air circulation as opposed to air conditioning. <laughs> because we're not going to be the ones riding well, it. Well, <laughs> there, there is that. I know everyone is kind of obsessed on the whole air conditioning thing, but people who work on the project just swear up and down that it's like once you're up in the air and once the, the gondola, your, the cabin you're in is moving at 16 or 17 uh, miles an hour, the, the breeze you'll get will more than cool you inside of that thing. I'm going to be one of those people in there with a digital, a couple of digital uh, thermometers. There you go. Just to see what it's like. There we'll you go. Me, me, I'm just packing a turducken. <laughs> you know, if this thing could somehow uh, rotate, we would have uh, Boston There market. we go. Rotisserie chicken. All right, Jim, a couple of uh, listener questions uh, to open up our show. David writes, hello, guys. Love the shows. I was listening to the Tiki Room soundtrack, as one does, and it suddenly hit me about the line that Fritz has where he refers to someone named Schmidt. Who is he talking to? Because there is no bird in the show named Schmidt. And the line is this. It's not far enough out of this world. Isn't that right, Herr Schmidt? Oh, I see. Schmidt has no hair. What is the origin of the name Schmidt in this line? I think it's a play on the words Herr in German, which is Mr. Yep. And Herr, like the thing on top of your head in English. Herr Schmidt. Get it? Herr Schmidt. That's that's my guess. Jim, do you have any... No, you've absolutely nailed it. If you remember Wally Bogue's act where he would actually scalp himself on stage, we, you know, we'd take a what was a really believable toupee off in front of the audience, and it got a huge laugh because he did it voluntarily, and then he would, you know, turn it into long blonde locks, and Wally did bald jokes involving hair in his act all the time. He helped write the Tiki Room show, and so 
It ah. was loaded with jokes that he loves, so Herr Schmidt has no hair. That's Wally. All right, so that's an Imagineering inside joke, yeah. if you will. Again, for me, when Walt died, Imagineering, because Wally was kind of Walt's pet, and he would he would call him in to punch up scripts and that sort of thing, the show's got less entertaining when they wouldn't let Wally in the room anymore. I, I, I kind of wish they'd, they'd let him stay on, more to the point. I kind of wish that... They'd kept him as the voice of Tigger in the Winnie the Pooh movies, but that's mm. another story. All right, but that's what we think the line refers yes, to. Yes, no, to, absolutely. Uh, to no. part of Wally. Yep. Okay. Exact. Good. If someone will go type that up into Wikipedia, we would greatly appreciate it. On to the next question. This is a uh, an, an email from mm-hmm. Jamie who writes, Hello! And actually, the way that it was written, you can get the British accent from it. I'm looking for uh, an expert recommendation for a visit to Disneyland in June of 2019. Planning on taking my family on a cross-country road trip, traveling from the Midwest. My question is, with Star Wars Land opening in California in the summer of 2019, should I still make the trip? This will be the first time for my family to go to Disneyland, and we're not going just because Star Wars Land is opening, but it was going to be my son's senior high school trip after he graduates. My dates are somewhat flexible, but it would most likely be the first two weeks of June 2019. Arrival in California would be sometime in the second week. Of June. Should I postpone this to 2020? I really don't want to be in the masses that will descend upon the land for Star Wars opening. Jim and Len are fantastic to listen to. Thank you and regards. So Jim, uh, actually the funny thing is I got this question mm. in an interview last week, the exact same question. What would you recommend to people uh, who are traveling to Southern California in the summer of 2019? Go or don't go to Disneyland? What's your, uh, what's your thoughts on this? Well, first of all, Jamie, you're a great mom for doing this. That sounds like a wonderful thing to do as to honor your kid, you know, for having graduated from high school. That I have to respect my co-host in the show, you know, Len, all these years you have told people the right times to go, the right time of day to go, you know, I mean, going to yeah. have a really pleasant trip. And I, I, I'm sorry, I kind of have to bury the needle in the other direction here. I know it's going to be crowded. I know it's probably going to be long lines and miserable, but you should still go. Largely because, you know, have you ever heard the, the Mel Brooks theory of time plus pain equals funny or at least a great story? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's 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 the corollary to uh, to no good evening begin with first I had a salad yes. right <laughs> that, that's it exactly I mean, I, look there's only gonna be one summer that this first opens and yes there will be giant crowds and yes it will be challenging. I come from this family of people who are like, you know, it's like, wow, okay, that sounds like it's going to be crowded and there'll be problems driving there and parking and maybe we shouldn't go. And and my mom, on the other hand, is the type of person who would turn to me and it's like four o'clock on July 4th. And it's, you know, it's like we're sitting there watching people line up to go to the Esplanade in Boston to, you know, to watch mm-hmm. Arthur Fiedler. And she turns to me, we should go. And an hour later, we're on the tee going into Boston. Oh, yeah. My, my mom was the same way. Like, the, literally, the first piece of advice I can ever remember my mom giving me is, if you have a chance to travel, yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, okay, look, and having just spent the weekend at the Big E, which is the state fair that New England, all six New England states come together and do this fair in West Springfield, we were there on the day when there were 170,000 people, and all of them 
wow. standing in line for fried butter. <laughs> Which, by the way, Len, you know, just as your heart valve is closing and as the EMTs are coming in to, to, to save you, that's really tasty. What do they fry butter in? Lard? Well, that's a great question. I, it would have to be. It was, <laughs> but they take a cube of butter and they put this sweet dough around it and then fry it up fast. And then you can put uh, cinnamon sugar or plain sugar on top of it. And oh, okay, okay. So you like, like it's like putting a pat of butter in a biscuit and then there frying. you go. Only uh, again, a sweet dough. Mm. <laughs> putting butter in a croissant and then, That's right. and then in the front. my daughter alice is this foodie so we were wandering the fair finding the freakish foods and you know for example there was somebody had figured out how to take a dill pickle core it out put a hot dog in it shove a stick in the hot dog then put the whole whole mess in cornbread batter and then deep fry it oh i'm gonna start a cooking show jim this sounds delightful <laughs> half the fun of going to that event was being in that sea of humanity. I mean, look, you know, yes, driving there was a misery and parking was a misery. And I'm sure mm -hmm. next summer it's going to be the exact same issues. So it's going to take some planning. You know, luckily I do a show with somebody who's really good at planning. And I'm hoping that, <laughs> exactly. that during April, May of next year, when they're letting the cast members in and the annual pass holders, that Len will be able to put together some sort of a touring plan. Or or, or more to the point, yeah. Mr. Testa will figure out how to throw a ladder over a fence. Because <laughs> that, actually that happened, Len. You know, on opening day of Disneyland, at one point they came oh, yeah. around corner and somebody had set up a ladder and that was how people were getting in we saw it in shanghai too right people were climbing the fences to get yeah, in but look there's only you know you're gonna only have one chance to be among the first and yes it will be challenging but i say go you know because again this this will be a great story face it you're traveling cross-country there'll be lots of places where there are no lines it'll be this trauma that you share together it'll be the entertainment Oh, equivalent yeah. of Vietnam. You know, remember when we went to Disneyland and it was Star Wars land that just opened? <laughs> you weren't there, man. You weren't <laughs> there, there we go. I think I've, I think I've, I've told uh, part of this uh, story on the show before, but the best family vacation my family ever took when I was mm -hmm. growing up was to Las Vegas. And three of the four kids were over 21. I think my brother was like 18 at the time. But my brother, my dad, and I drove a minivan from Greensboro, North Carolina, to Las mm -hmm. Vegas and it took two and a half days to get there. And uh, my two sisters and my mom flew out to Vegas. But part of the best part, one of the best parts of the trip was the actual drive out there where, you know, we went through, you know, North Carolina and Tennessee and, and Arkansas and whatnot. But if you're going uh, to Southern California and you happen to go through Amarillo, Texas, there is the Big Texan Steak Ranch, which offers a 72 ounce steak with sides. And if you can eat it in under an hour, uh, it's free. I didn't try it, of course, but uh, the steak was... <laughs> was super tasty. Actually, I think we should all pause here and go look for videos of people eating oh. steaks. I believe there's one of a woman eating eating the steak in three minutes using her bare oh. hands. Oh. And it's, <laughs> it's, it is both admirable and scary at the same time. But anyway, yeah, part of the, the, the trip included, you know, fun stops. Uh, Big Texan Steak Ranch was one. Going through um, Hoover Dam was another. But I would say, yeah, do the, do the road trip. There are tons of memories. I don't know if I've ever talked about the Hoover Dam mm. thing. On the show, but uh, we'll have to save that for another another time. Cool. But yeah, I think uh, I think you should go. Okay. To. Uh, one one quick question though, Lynn. I, I'm looking back on the coverage from the last time they had sort of a crazy event at 
at Disneyland. And of course, that was the 60th, the Diamond Celebration. And then that day that they threw up in the park for 24 hours. and Oh, where it was like a two-hour car line to get into the parking yeah. garage? Yeah, so it definitely show up a couple days early. Stay somewhere where you can mm-hmm. walk. What do you think, though, in regard to, they said back, and this is 2015, mind you, that maximum capacity of the park at that time was estimated at 65,000. Oh, yeah. Have you even started crunching the numbers yet about what potentially opening Galaxy's Edge is going to do to capacity at Disneyland? Or? So we haven't looked at we haven't looked at capacity. It's, it's 14 mm-hmm. acres. I believe when New Fantasyland opened, it was around 11 acres mm-hmm. total of reclaimed, reclaimed area. And I think Disney said that that got them an additional 5,000 people a day. So you anticipate somewhere between five and 10,000 hmm. a day. Okay. I think that's reasonable. All right. You know, given the size of the rides and everything like that. The more interesting question though, is how long it's going to take to get into those. Yeah, that's Lint? that. That is the big question and whether or not they're, they're actually going to use all three entrances or use one as the entrance yeah. and one of the exit. Well, look folks, again, we'll know more April, May, June of next year. Yeah. And like I said, Jamie, listen to the show Len will have some decent info and we want to hear how it went yeah definitely just definitely write us back i would say that from what i know about how corporate Mm -hmm. america works we'll probably start seeing proposed guest flow patterns or traffic patterns for disneyland late january early february when disney will say you know this is how we plan to to run things so that's that's when i expect things to uh, to start happening then okay All right, Jim, let's take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we'll go through some Disney news, including uh, ticket price increases, new discounts, and uh, updates to early morning magic and other programs. All right, folks, we'll be right back. And we're back. All right, Jim, in the news, while I was on my uh, most recent cruise, Disney announced a huge change to their ticket policy. I don't want to go over here because we don't know all the details yet. Mainly, we don't know what the prices mm-hmm. are going to be, but we will cover that in an in, uh, in an upcoming show. Just real quick, Jim, what the, what's the reaction that you've heard about this uh, this new ticket? Well, you scheme? know, I mean, what's fascinating is that if you're talking to somebody who works in travel, who's they're excited because, of course, you know, that, that this is a new variety of price points, and but also in a weird sort of way, it makes it possible for a lot more people to go to Walt Disney World. On the other hand, if you talk to the fan community, it's the usual grab the torches, grab the pitchforks, this is terrible, the world is ending. And it's like, the thing that always makes me a little crazy about the fan community, it's Disney World. I get that this was not how it was when the place opened in 1971, but this is 2018. And nobody goes Mm -hmm. spontaneously to Walt Disney World. Yeah. I actually said that in in one of the uh, in my, my the interview that I did last week that the, and the question was is this going to dissuade anybody mm-hmm. from going? Like no, uh, because if you're going to go, you're going to go. There's there aren't that many spontaneous there aren't that many spontaneous trips to Walt Disney World. Like, going back to the point about your mom, you know, telling you yeah. to get in the car and go. Yeah. I'm sure it happens. It's not a significant no. No. size of the overall market, and part of that is the fact that it, it is so expensive mm-hmm. to get in that people want to amortize that cost over a longer vacation period. No one's no one's doing a spontaneous weekend trip no. to Walt Disney World. I mean, I mean, obviously people do, but it's again not mm-hmm. a significant size, not a significant number of people no, are doing and, that. So yeah, if you're planning on going, it's just another mm-hmm. thing to plan. Yeah, I think. And, and 
You know, remember when park hopping was the big new thing? In fact, they, they invented yeah. that walk around character where it was like a, a ticket with hands and feet. Like, hey, look at me. I'm in the park. I see it every night in my dreams, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here we are burying the needle basically in the other direction. I mean, the whole notion of like, look, if you'll commit to a different set of tickets that, that sort of locks you into the kingdom or Epcot or that sort of thing on a, a specific day or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, we can, in fact, keep your costs down. When you know that sort of information in advance, you can adjust how many people are coming in for the day. You can push yep. out spontaneously, supposedly, the operating hours of the park. There's a lot of stuff you can do when you have that knowledge in hand. And I think, ultimately, this is what this really is. Disney wants to be that much more aware of who's coming when and then plan accordingly. Yeah, I think uh, you know, the first thing uh, that I thought when I heard about the new ticket use mm -hmm. length restrictions was that Disney was gonna use it to, to schedule staffing that much more yeah. tightly. So in the current set of tickets, you buy a one to 10 day ticket and you can use it for up to 14 days after your first use. So let's say you buy a, a three day ticket today. The first day that you use it is November 1st you could use it through midnight on November 15th. Under the, the new ticketing scheme, you buy a three-day ticket, you use the first on November 1st. I think you have until November 5th, you have five days to use that three-day ticket and it has to be consecutive. So Disney is able to pin down much more tightly where you'll be uh, or when you'll be visiting the parks. Now, the interesting thing is they, they've stopped differentiating the Magic mm -hmm. Kingdom from other parks in terms of pricing. Everything, uh, the prices have risen on the other parks to match the Magic Kingdom pricing. So I was a little surprised at that because I thought that, I actually thought they were gonna go to the extreme of, uh, of having you choose which park you were gonna visit on which day, because that would be the ultimate mm -hmm. in scheduling staff, right? But they, they actually kind of know that already through FastPass, so there's no, there's no real reason for them to, to ask that question. But like I said, Jim, let's, let's talk about that on, on another show. I will end though with this little anecdote. Disney actually called me on, while I was in Canada on a Disney cruise to tell me about the uh, the ticketing announcement. They gave me about a four hour heads up on it. But because I was in Canada and I was not on my home cell phone plan, I paid 50 cents a minute for Disney to tell me that, that they were raising ticket prices. <laughs> so it, no joke, it cost me $40 being between all the questions that I had and the back and forth, so I had to call it a couple of times. It cost me $40 for Disney to tell me that they were raising ticket prices. Well, I was the oh, first casualty. Yeah, well. So, so how many turkey legs is that, Lynn? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I oh, irony, you're not dead. Speaking of money, uh, Disney's announced new discounts extending into 2019. This is a variation on the play, stay, and dine deal that they did about the same time in 2015, 2016, and mm -hmm. 2017 for stays the following year. It was about, uh, announced, I think, third week of September this year. That is about 10 days earlier this year, Jim, then they've announced it then they announced it last year. Is there anything unusual about that timing? Did they give a range of dates? Well, virtually the exact same travel dates uh, through March 9th or 10th, 2019. So, you know, you can book now first days through then. And that's basically the same range of dates that it was in 2015, 2016, 2017 for, you know, for, for stays mm -hmm. the following year. Again, the deal has been done for, for the last couple of years. I don't think this is necessarily Disney responding to any sort of panic about slow fall sales because, again, this is, they've done this for the last three years. But I do think that the 10-day earlier thing 
is Disney maybe trying to probe how far out the soft bookings yeah, might be going? I agree. What's kind of ironic because, of course, nobody knows right now uh, what the actual hard opening dates are going to be for the Orlando version of Galaxy's Edge. And that, you know, again, if you talk to anybody in the travel industry, that that's their, their fear at this point is that at some point people are going to go, no, I'm not, you know, I, I'm going to wait. But right now, because nobody knows that date, yeah, yeah you're, you're seeing people sort of lightly tap the brakes. And obviously Disney wants to know, when do we need to sort of bring in the new show? When do we need to start to have to throw, you know, the heavy armor out there to, to get people to come before it opens? Yeah, and I think that's what that's what this is. And I think, you know, again, fall bookings are, are down a little bit. They've got nothing big opening maybe through September of next year is what I'm hearing for Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. You know, they've got to do something between uh, now and then, whether that's, uh, you know, new show announcements or whatever. Um, and again, I think I think this is them just sort of probing how far out this. I was just talking with the folks about the Illumination ending event. And yeah. they've actually pulled out the Main Street Electrical Parade playbook from 1996. They're anticipating that as they hype the last summer to get to see the classic Illuminations, that they've already evidently tentatively built in a four-week extension with the notion that demand will be so great. And, you know, face it, it's not like Anaheim where people will drive in for the the day, but they anticipate there'll be enough locals who want to come out and say goodbye to the show that they want the wiggle room that they can, in fact, push it from September into October. But this is come say goodbye to Illuminations is what they're going to do to try to get people to come out. Oh, I've already said I'm making a special trip. Hannah's taking off from school. We're going to, you know, whatever the last, the last couple of, uh, uh, performances are where we said right well, there. So. Get, maybe um, you'll get to take home a souvenir, you know, firework shells that plummets out of the sky and hits you in the head. Because that, that's you know that's actually happened to me once or twice. There'll be souvenirs, Jim. Whether 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 they're for sale or not, there'll be there'll be souvenirs. I'm not worried okay. about that part. By the way, uh, going back to our uh, our thing about uh, historical price discounts. Thanks very much to uh, MouseSavers.com. They've got a, a page dedicated to detailing when Disney has released discounts throughout the year for. Going uh, for years, going back to like 2014 or 2015. So we use it all the time to figure out whether a new discount just released is part of some precedent, or whether it's uh, something new to look at. Another quick mm-hmm. uh, piece of news, Jim. Uh, early mm-hmm. morning magic at the Magic Kingdom is getting some changes. It's getting more attractions at a slightly higher price. So right now, uh, you're familiar with this. This is where the Magic Kingdom opens at 7:45 a.m. Mm-hmm. to people who buy a, an extra hard ticket, and from 7:45 a.m. till I think 10 a.m. They get pre-opening access to Winnie the Pooh, Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, Peter Pan's Flight, plus a breakfast at Pinocchio Village House from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. And that's $69 for adults, $59 for kids, plus tax. Starting, though, on December 2nd, they're adding more attractions. So it'll include Pooh, Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, Peter Pan's Flight, but also Princess Fairytale Hall, It's a Small World, Mad Tea Party, and Journey of the Little Mermaid, plus Breakfast is moving to Cosmic Ray's Starlight Cafe. That tells me, Jim, that this is an expansion of the number of tickets that they're willing to sell. Because Cosmic Ray's is much bigger than Pinocchio Village has. What do you make of this? I mean, I, I guess I'm, I'm surprised to see Pooh on that list. But you have the Pooh meet and greet there, which is... I actually, I think that's more popular than the ride. But well, it's right around the corner, it's right around the corner yeah, from Cosmic yeah, Ray's. Yeah, I mean, so right, like, right across the street. The but when you, you, you consider... 
the line for Seven Dwarfs Mind Train later in the day, when you consider the line for Peter Pan at any time of the day, and then to throw Fairy Tale Hall in there. Yeah, a couple of yeah, uh, you, you can knock out you know three of the more popular things at the kingdom. And again, you want to stress here that that's if you have small children, this allows you to knock out half the wish list for for the kids. You know, before ten o'clock in the morning. Yeah, so coincidentally, my uh, younger sister, Christina, did this with uh, unofficial research child, Gigi. <laughs> okay. This past, uh, Giovanna's uh, her a, name. Uh, yeah, okay, Gigi. love a research child. Anyway, so. Exactly. Uh, so she did it this past weekend. So funny story, she um, she shows up at the TTC at uh, 7, 7.15 a.m. for her 7.45, I think 7 o'clock. She gets on the monorail, and the monorail stalls between the contemporary and the Magic Kingdom. She actually doesn't get into the park until 8 a.m., so 15 mm-hmm. minutes after the thing started and she is livid right like i'm, I'm gonna march right down the middle of main street usa mm-hmm. and get my refund etc cetera, etc cetera. so she uh she said she's gonna you know, she was gonna do the thing and then and then complain but she gets into the to the park at eight by you know eight ten she's in fantasy land she texts me at eight thirty and said we've done every ride twice because <laughs> there's no one here and now we're going to go get some food. So they go to get some food. They end up uh, riding like all three rides, I think three or four times with almost no wait in line. And then right before the park officially opened, a cast member grabbed her and said, go get in line for It's a Small World because uh, we're going to open it soon. So she was you know, the first boat on It's a Small World. So she came out of that, even with the monorail experience, she came out and said, this is the best $69 per person you could spend in the Magic Kingdom. Completely loved the entire Holy. thing, even with that monorail Holy breakdown. Wow! I, I, how many people do you think they make this available to? I don't, so based on the capacity of mm-hmm. Pinocchio Village House, and knowing that not everyone is going to be in the Village House at the same time, I I don't think they were selling more than a thousand tickets, and I would be shocked if it was like a thousand is a total mm-hmm. upper limit. I I if they sold maybe I, I think the more realistic number would be five mm-hmm. to seven hundred. So, you know, if you think about five to 700 oh, people distributed among three rides in Fantasyland plus the restaurant plus just walking around, you know, you're talking about, uh, you know, 160 people oh. in line ahead of you, you know, and that's assuming it's a complete sellout. I, you know, that's not very many people wow. at all. Okay. Then I could understand the moving it to Cosmic Rays and more to the point, you know, adding that many more rides to the lineup just to give people something else to do but wow no that sounds great yeah yeah definitely i think it's a bit, yeah so she really really liked it uh i think even adding ten dollars to it and then adding in that many more rides i think it'd still be a relatively good deal so i was encouraged to uh, to hear cool. that so that was good news the other thing a uh, piece of good news we heard is uh, rafiki's planet watch is coming back in 2019 remember it's uh we we heard it was uh, closing uh soon we weren't sure whether it was a seasonal closure or whether it was permanent but apparently it looks like it's uh, just a seasonal closure. It'll be back again in 2019. Jim, what's, uh, what's driving that? Two things. One is that the actual facility, that the area that you, you go through and look in and, you know, watching animals being treated. I mean, that's not for show. Animals are actually being treated in this thing. And when it closes this fall, they're still going to make use of those facilities. Also, from a convention's point of view, this venue, the Rafiki's Planet Watch, there's, there's a number of nights where, you know, they close their doors at 5 o'clock and then they roll the tables in there and for small mm-hmm. groups of, you know, three to, to 500 people, 
they throw open the bar, they bring out the animals to meet and greet. People who've done it for previous conventions are like, oh, and we, we, we want to go back to Animal Kingdom and we want to do that thing. They're Rafiki's. And so it's like, okay, we're going to get ready to put the new attraction. It's like, no, you're not. You know, <laughs> we have in much the same way that I don't think you and I will live long enough to ever see them close the, the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular because of... No, uh, we it, it, right now I'm shooting for uh, we live long enough to see them actually change the <laughs> script. And I think about that every time I order an extra large cheese pizza. Like, is this is Indiana Jones are going to be yeah. damn it? <laughs> but no, it just uh, now, mind you, that, that my understanding is groups have booked this convention facility or the, this convention spot out to 2020, and there were also groups that had booked out. The Great Movie Ride, well into 2021, and Disney did, you know, eventually find ways to compensate them. I'm not saying that, you know, we won't see something, you know, start to happen in Rafiki 2020-2021 when Stitch went down and went seasonal. I mean, we're, what, two, three years now? At least a, at least a year, yeah. Probably more, yeah, that it's been, uh, it's been seasonal. But that's not that, no, that's no, not no, never. Back. I mean, you Stitch know, the, uh, but that's the thing that Stitch died a death of attrition. You know, in fact, I think the last iteration of it, they didn't even reopen the ride. They just did it as a meet and greet in the lobby area. There, this is kind of how an attraction fades into the background. There's a slow death. The folks who operate the parks like to have something in their back pocket if you know as they head into heavy season, where it's like, okay, we can throw that open. Give them someplace huh. else to send people. So, it's, uh, so we'll close with this because it's related to what you just said. Uh, speaking of something that's going to go to seasonal operation but may open when it's needed, Pizza Rizzo, the pizza place over at Disney's Hollywood Studios, is moving to seasonal operations. We, uh, this is uh, news from www.nt.com. Yeah. Uh, that's mildly interesting, Jim, because it, it is one of the larger uh, places to eat. In the studios, Disney's also recently spent a ton of money to upgrade the facility. As we said, though, on a, on a previous show, they didn't change the menu at all, and it wasn't very good to begin with. What do you, uh, what do you make of this, Jim? Just this past weekend, I was sent a deck. In fact, I should share this with you as well, Len. D23 reached out to its members and was trying to get a sense of what they were interested in. And you can go through this deck with a fine tooth comb and, you know, they ask about Marvel properties. They ask about Lucasfilm. You know, with Lucasfilm was fascinating because it's like they broke it into, are you interested in the prequels? Are you interested in the original trilogy? What about the films we've just made? But go up and down this list, not a mention of the Muppets. Wow. Which is kind of fascinating because right now, the Muppet Baby show on Disney Junior is this huge hit. They've gone clean on a lot of the merch for it. They're trying to get a second wave out in time for the holidays. But it's just sort of the Muppets right now aren't really all that much a priority, at least as, as far as the large Disney companies, because there are these giant properties that need the attention. Now, now yeah. the work that was done at Pizza Rizzo was kind of the equivalent of a fire extinguisher that in 14 months time when star wars galaxy's edge is open and 
tens of thousands more people in the studios. They're going to need every seat at every restaurant anywhere. And Pizza Rizzo, even with its indifferent Italian cuisine, will do turnaway business. You know, but for now, you know, it's like, okay, nobody's going in there. You know, that mean, you know, they, they, they come to Grand Street, they look around and they go to the new bar, right? You know, that's still doing, yeah, yeah doing house. decent uh, business. But it's like, okay, fine, let's let's mothball this for a while, but we will use it in 14 months. And I think that's the expectation, that uh, they'll shutter it and they'll open it, probably with the same menu when, uh, when yeah. Galaxy's and, Edge opens. And then maybe once Galaxy's Edge is an enormous hit and once the Muppets are back, you're going to remember there's a brand new Muppet series coming as part of Disney Play, that a subscription streaming service that Disney's launching next year. You know, with more interest, you know, maybe we'll see that that restaurant retooled and rethemed to reflect the new Muppets. So good. Let's hope so. I'm I'm interested to see what uh, what sort of dining options they uh they open up uh, not only in Galaxy's Edge but in the uh, in the rest of the park. So hopefully something uh, something good will come of all of this Michigas with uh, Pizza Rizzo. You're hoping. All right, folks, you've been listening to the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. Don't forget, we are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams. Please go on to iTunes and Stitcher and rate our show and tell us what you would like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.